0: Not about me. It's not about any of us. It's about the truth of your word and your spirit speaking to our need. We're not here to show that we have it all together. We're not here to say that we are superior to anyone else because of our belief or our faith. We are here to say, Lord, we need you. We need you desperately every moment. And we pray that above all else, we would hear your voice. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. Thank you to uh, everybody that had a part in saying thank you to us this morning. I would thank Steve and Tim and Clow, but I'll speak to them later about... (laughs) That <laughs> it serves them right for trying to come up here. They think this looks easy, and they just waltz up here and have all kinds of problems. And <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. Um, I just want to say that, and if if we don't, if Tim and I don't say this enough, then we apologize for that. But we just want to say how thankful we are that. What happens here on Sunday, and that what happens throughout the week in the ministry of Mossbrook Church, is not about Tim and I. It is about primarily the power and the grace of God, and it's about all of you, not us. There are so many people involved in what happens, so many people using the gifts and abilities that God has given them, and Tim and I are thankful for it every single day of the week. We often talk about how grateful we are that God has given us so many people who have a desire and a heart to serve the Lord, and uh, notwithstanding those three guys that were up here uh, this morning, as much as I would like to give them a hard time, Uh, those three guys are a huge part of what happens here in helping lead our church as elders, and uh, we are very grateful to them. So thank you, guys. Thank you to everyone. And I could mention our deacons, too, Robert Wessels and Dan Jack as well, looking after the physical aspects of the ministry uh, we 're just grateful God has given us so many good folks, and in case you are wondering what that was that Gemma handed us in those cups uh, gemma I, actually i really don 't know what it is in that in that <laughs> cup, but Gemma makes these drinks at the farm and she makes them in the morning. They're like energy drinks and they have all kinds of special vitamins and minerals and all kinds of things that are good for us. And anytime that Tim and I are up there working, usually at some point in the morning, Gemma finds us and hands us one of those things full of ice and, and vitamins and energy and uh, we love them. And so uh, thank you for that too, Gemma. I just wanted to clarify in case you're wondering why she, was, you know, why she was handing that to us. That's what it is. Well, back in the 40s and the 50s, back in that era, I don't know, some of you may remember that. I wasn't around in the 40s or 50s, but back in the 40s and 50s, the Department of Defense started to see the need for a, some kind of guidance system for military movements. Whether it was planes and trains or missiles and bombs, they knew they needed something to help them maneuver on the battlefield. And so they lured away a man by the name of Dr. Ivan Getting, and Dr. Ivan Getting was a pioneer in the area of radar and radio waves and all those kinds of things, and they asked Dr. Getting to try and develop some kind of guidance system. And Dr. Getting started to talk about and dream about lighthouses in the sky. And that sounds kind of strange to us, but what that eventually led to was a satellite global positioning system. We know it is GPS now. They worked on it for decades and decades. And over the last 60 to 70 years, you know the technology has gotten better and faster and more efficient. And much smaller, because what costs the Department of Defense hundreds of millions of dollars to develop, you now have in your pocket right now in GPS. Some of the systems are so advanced that they can pinpoint things to within inches. And they can send us images and directions and suggestions and warning about traffics and accidents and detours and construction But even in all the development and all the advancement of the technology, one thing the system cannot overcome is humanity's unwillingness to listen to it. (laughs) No matter how good the directions are, no matter how good the information is, if we refuse to listen to it, then it does us no good, right? All the wives are nodding their heads. Yes, I know, I know. I told him to just punch it into the GPS, but oh no, he knew where he was going. It doesn't matter how accurate it is, how valuable it is, whether it's just convenience or it's life-saving, if we don't listen to it, it's not effective. Now, for the past 10 months... We have been in, or nine months really, we have been in the book of Hebrews. And there's been a lot of information gleaned and taught and explained and shared with you over the last several months. But it doesn't matter what we find and what we teach and what we share with you if you aren't listening. Today we're looking at the seventh and final warning of this book. And this warning kind of sums up all of the previous warnings. If you've been with us, you may remember some of those warnings. Don't drift away. Don't neglect salvation. Don't remain immature. Last week we looked at number six and it was don't become bitter. And now we have this one final warning and it is this. Don't refuse to listen to God because judgment is coming. I want us to look in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're going to start reading in verse 18. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there or they'll be on the screen so that you can follow along. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18 begins like this, for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the he- made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed it was so terrifying or so terrifying was the sight that moses said I tremble with fear. Now, how many people know what's going on here in these verses? Okay, absolutely no one. Fantastic. You're right where I want you to be then. Remember that this book was written to Jews. Anybody remember the title of the book that we're looking at? (laughs) Hebrews, okay? To the Hebrews. So the writer has written this book to Jews. They are very familiar with the Old Testament and all of the stories of it and all of the law that was given into it. And so when the writer says this, we're jumping right into the middle of it. I mean, half of you are just barely awake even this morning. If you only got one cup of coffee in you. But the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about when he launched into this little discussion. And what he is talking about is what happened at Mount Sinai. Back in the book of Exodus, if we were to take time, we would go back there. We would go to Exodus 19, and we would find that Moses was spoken to by the Lord, and he said, I want you to prepare the people because I'm going to give them my law. And here's what's going to happen, Moses. You're going to come up on the mountain with me, just you, nobody else, and I'll give you the law. Now, in preparation for all of that, there were a lot of cleansings, and a lot of washings, and a lot of Purity things that needed to happen in order for the people to be ready for what God was going to say to them. This was a covenant of judgment. Have you read the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy? If you have, have you seen some of the things that are in there? Some of the things that are required. And have you noticed some of the um, penalties? (laughs) I was reading one this morning. Not that I have to worry about this anymore because my son is full grown. The penalty for a rebellious son, repeated, egregious rebellion, was... Drum roll, please. Anybody know? Going once, going twice. stoning. All the children got quiet. <laughs> All the teenagers. This was a covenant of judgment, and it was a covenant of fear. They were terrified. And when Moses went up on that mountain, and this is what the writer is referring to, or when Moses went up on the mountain of Sinai to get the law, there was lightning, and there was thunder, and there was an earthquake. God was communicating his holiness to the people. And what happens when we think about God's holiness? What happens when we really realize how holy and how just and how pure God is? We are reminded of our sinfulness. And they were terrified. They were terrified. Even Moses, Moses, who stood nose to nose with Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, and he said, Let my people go. Moses was terrified. He said, he quotes here from Exodus, I'm scared. He's like, You think you guys are scared, you get to stay down here. I'm the one that's got to go up there. I'm terrified. The law, the principles of God, are a mirror. Romans says that. Paul tells us that in Romans 3 and 4. He says, we look into the law of God and we see our sinfulness. We see how far short we fall of God's perfection and His holiness, but, but, let's look, look at verse 22. What's the first word? But, but. That's not where we are. The writer gives us this first part, 18 to 21, so that he can contrast it with where we are now. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word, or speaks a better word, than the blood of Abel. That terrifying place Mount, Zion, or Mount Sinai, with its thunder and its lightning and its fire and its earthquake and its fear, we're not there, my friends. We're not at Mount Sinai. We're at Mount Zion. Now, if Mount Sinai is a picture of law and judgment, then Mount Zion is a picture of grace. This new covenant is very different From the Old Covenant. Instead of a place of fear and judgment, it is a place of grace and mercy. Do you see that? Have you picked up on that the last nine months? We're in a different place because of Jesus. Did you catch over in verse 20 when I was reading that? a few minutes ago, so holy and so righteous was God and so convinced that he wanted to ensure that they understood his holiness, they said, not even an animal should touch this mountain or it would die. Keep your sheep away from the mountain. Keep everything away because if the sheep touches that mountain, it's lamb kebab for supper. Nothing will even touch this mountain. And yet, what does God say to us? What did we talk about in Hebrews chapter 4? Can you remember? Are you taking good notes? There's going to be a test at the end of this. What did he say to us in Hebrews 4? Did he say, don't come near to me or you will fry? No, he said, we can with confidence... Approach the throne of grace to find mercy. That's a little different, isn't it? That's a little different than don't touch this mountain or you're going to sizzle. No, I want you to come to me. Now God is approachable. When in the Old Testament God wanted them to understand no one can be saved by this law. Now he says, anyone can be saved by this grace. Now that I've showed you my holiness, see my grace. That's what God says to us now. Zion represents the city of God. Trusting Christ as our Savior means us gaining our citizenship in heaven. Before we went through the book of Hebrews, a few months before that, we went through the book of Philippians. And if you remember there in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says, our citizenship is in what? Heaven. Now, are we living in heaven right now? No. Far from it. But though we live here now, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice how he describes heaven. Have you ever noticed this when we talk about heaven? What do we like to talk about? What it's going to be like, right? I mean, half of the guys that I hang out with when we talk about heaven, they're like, what's the food going to be like there? (laughs) I have an uncle who loves to fish. And he is determined that there must be fish in the river of life that flows by the throne of God because he is convinced that he will not be happy in heaven unless he will be able to fish. If we asked Brian, he would probably be sure there must be whitetail in heaven. What's it going to be like? How big's my mansion? How shiny is my gold street? I want you to notice, when the writer to the Hebrews describes heaven, he doesn't say anything about what it's like. Did you realize, did you notice when I read it, you know what he talks about? Who's going to be there? It doesn't matter what it's like, folks. <laughs> what matters is who's there. Look what he says. The angels will be there and innumerable angels in festal gathering. I don't really use that turn of phrase too much. Festal gathering. The book of Revelation says that there will be myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands. When Isaiah got his view of heaven back in Isaiah chapter 6, he said the angels were all around the throne of God. Some of them were flying. Others of them were simply worshiping. And there were a group of them saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels will be there. Also, the New Testament believers will be there. The church. It says, The assembly of the firstborn. Who's got their Greek cap on this morning? The assembly. Guess what word that is? It's ecclesia that we've talked about before, the church, the church will be there. That's us, those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior. God, the Father, will be there, the judge of all. The Old Testament saints will be there. It says, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We read all about them in chapter 11, didn't we? All of those who believed, all of those who trusted God, and it was counted to them for righteousness. But remember when we got to the end of chapter 11 and Pastor Tim was talking to us about that section? He said, But they have not yet received, right? Remember that? Encourage me. Remember that? That's them. The spirits of the righteous, now made perfect. Remember the word perfect means complete. And most importantly, do you see it there, my friends, in verse 24? Who else will be there? Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there. God is approachable now because of Jesus. He's the whole reason that we can be there at all. He's the reason that we're not shaking in our boots at Sinai. We are worshiping God in Zion. He is the reason that we're approaching God rather than cowering in fear. How blessed we ha- are. What a privilege we have. I'm so thankful that we're not at Sinai. So here comes the warning, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. Here it is. Don't refuse to listen to God when He speaks. Why does He say that? Why does He give us this contrast? Why does He detail all of that fear and judgment from Sinai and and contrast it with what we have where we are today because of Jesus. Why does He do that? To remind us of what Christ has done and to warn us about the dangers of refusing to listen to God. You guys got room in your brains for another Greek word? It's much shorter than homilaguminous. It's not as confusing as sigcacopatheo. This one, and it's and it's fun to say, too. It's the word C. Are you ready for it? Blepo. Go ahead, you can say it. Blepo. Isn't that fun? It just brings a smile to your face. Spell it just like how it sounds B-L-E-P-O blepo. That's what he's saying here. See that you do not refuse. The word blepo means to be observant so that you can take the appropriate action. Hey, you saw what the Old Testament believers had to do, right? You saw the law. You saw the sacrifices. You saw the fear. You saw the judgment. And now you see what Jesus has done for you, right? Right? You see it? Blepo? Blepo! See it? And act. Don't just brush by it. Don't just let it wash over you and drift into the rearview mirror. Pleppo. Act. See it and act. Live your life in a different way. Make sure you're not the person who turns a deaf ear to God. Now listen, folks. Believe it or not, there were some people at Sinai who refused to listen. Did you know that? And I know you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, that wouldn't have been me. Believe me, if I had heard the thunder and seen the lightning and felt the heat of the fire and felt the earth shaking when God spoke, oh, you better believe I'd be listening. I'd be towing the line. I'd be believing. Would you? Would you? Because there were some people there who didn't. And the people that didn't listen at Sinai died short of the promised land. They did not enter. They did not get in. They did not enjoy what God was promising them if they had obeyed. Here's the thing. If you don't listen to God now, then you will not enter Zion. And Zion is a picture of what? Heaven. So, the blessings of the covenant that we have now, this covenant of grace, this wonderful access that God has given us, that Jesus has given us to the Father, this wonderful salvation, the blessings are so much greater than the old covenant, but so are the consequences of rejecting it. Reject this one and your destiny is eternity in hell. Remember what the writer said in Hebrews 2, verse 3? He said, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And the answer is, we won't. We won't. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, There is only one way under heaven given to men. By which we must be saved. And that is Jesus. Look at verse 26. At that time... His, that is God's, voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. God shook the earth at Sinai. There was an earthquake that accompanied his proclamation but it's going to happen once more. Isaiah and Haggai both prophesy that one day in the future the earth will be shaken. And 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that the entire earth will be destroyed by fire. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12 says that when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Can you imagine what that would be like? You know, all the astrologers and and astronomers, I mean, and scientists have a meltdown when one star falls out of the sky. A meteor hits the earth. Imagine if every star fell out of the sky all at once. And the sky itself just rolled up like a scroll. And everything shook. Devastation. The physical universe will be gone. There will be a terrible time of judgment for the earth and everyone in it. But it must happen. I want you to understand this, my friends. This is not just God saying, you know, like we do with our kids, if you do that one more time, you're going to be sorry. And we keep saying one more time, a hundred times, because we never follow through. That's not what God is doing. He's promising. This will happen. The earth will be shaken one more time. And in fact, the verses here tell us that it must happen so that only the eternal will be left. The things that cannot be shaken. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you know the only thing that will be left after God shakes this earth one more time? You know the only thing that will be left? The kingdom of God. That's it. Everything else will be gone. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Everything will be gone. The earth will be gone. The oceans will be gone. The mountains will be gone. All of it, only the kingdom of God. And what is our response to this? The entire world has been destroyed. Everyone who has rejected Christ has been judged and has been banished to eternal punishment in hell. And yet, we're in Zion. We're in heaven. We are with God. We are where Jesus is. And what is our response? What does it say there? Worship and awe and reverence for our awesome God and his amazing gift. Did you catch that last phrase? Verse 29 For our God is. Is a consuming fire. Um, that's not good. That's not good for those who reject Him. That's a warning. And some of you perhaps have come to the edge of understanding and full acceptance and trust in Christ and the warning is don't turn back don't go back don't refuse to listen to God if you haven't trusted Christ as your savior then today is the day now is the time in second corinthians chapter 6 that's what paul says He says, today is the day of salvation. See, here's the thing. Because of God's mercy and grace, the door is open. The welcome has been given. Whosoever will may come. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But understand this. One day the door will close. One day the opportunities will be over. But if you are a true disciple of Christ, then be grateful. Be thankful that this mess, this whole world, all of this immoral, godless culture is going to get shaken out until the only thing left standing is the permanent, unshakable kingdom of God of which you are a part. You see, we come to Times like we have experienced here in our state this week. We go about our lives, we live our lives, we don't even give it another thought. We go here and there, we do this and that with our friends and our families, and we never give another thought to how perilous, how fleeting that this life is. And then all of a sudden, in ten minutes, life is over. For 18 people. Everything in this world is temporary. And it can be shaken. And it does get shaken every day. We walk around and we get the rumblings, don't we? They're just the little tremors. They're not the big one. But they're the little tremors that remind us that this world is It's not our home. Are you listening? Or perhaps you're too focused on yourself or not Him. Or perhaps you wish that God would just show you instead of speak to you. Or maybe you want your results immediately rather than an ongoing relationship and conversation with Him. Do you have a desire to listen to God's voice? Our God is a consuming fire and everything that is not glorifying to be Him will be consumed in the last days and everyone who refuses to listen to Him will pay the ultimate price. But, until then, His amazing grace is freely given. Which kingdom do you want to be a part of? The kingdom of God, which never is shaken? Do you want to build your life in this world? Are you listening?